Hi, I'm Amy Birchhausen, and I'm honored to be here today with you. Perhaps you hear a little bird chirping today. Um, one of the uh, smoke detectors, uh, I think, might need a battery change. So I timed it to see how often it happens. It happens about every 40 seconds. Then I Googled quickly on my phone every 40 seconds, and guess what? According to the World Health Association, every 40 seconds, someone in the world takes their life. I am stunned myself. So I was thinking, well, maybe we could imagine every time we hear the chirping, an angel gets his or her wings, and we can still do that. Um, but I was really sobered by that. Uh, so you can Google it, too, every 40 seconds. And I'll talk a little bit about suicide later, but I just want to prepare you for that as you're hearing it. Maybe you know a lot about care and counseling, and maybe you don't know anything about care and counseling. But I am so privileged to be the executive director there. Um, during the fellowship time, you will see in the fellowship hall a table with more information about us. But we've been around for 50 years, and um, we help people put together their life, their heartbreaks, their potential through therapy, and we help them do that while they honor and try to make sense of their faith and their deepest held beliefs. And chances are someone here in this congregation has utilized our services, and chances are some of you have also been donors to help us give away over a million dollars of unreimbursed services every year. So thank you for that. This year, as I said, is the 50th anniversary for Karen Counseling, and our tagline this year is Transforming Lives for 50 Years. A lot has changed in our culture in 50 years, and a lot hasn't changed. Some things have changed, and now it seems they're changing back. 1968 was a big year in American culture, the Civil Rights Movement and the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., there were high levels of stress with North Korea when North Korea took the American, American military hostages. And then, of course, there was the massive and organized resistance to the Vietnam War. Just like in 1968, which was a threshold time in our nation and world, today is a threshold moment, too. Heading, I hope, towards greater love, greater peace, greater hope, and greater freedom. As I have gotten older and somewhat kinder with myself, I've come to understand and appreciate that many, many artists have a time in their development when they go th work through over and over again a certain theme, like Picasso's Blue Period or Monet's Water Lilies, 250 paintings of water lilies from his own backyard. And whenever we think of Monet, at least whenever I think of Monet, I think of those beautiful water lilies. He came back to them time and time again, ever finding new beauty, searching for new ways to capture and convey and paint what he saw with his eyes and heart. And in both cases, it wasn't just the subject matter, but also the light at the different times of the day and different rotations of the earth. Picasso's blue period lasted about two to three years as he explored and worked through his own depression after the death by suicide of a close friend of his. 
The paintings from this time period were sober renderings of people who were struggling in some way. And you know what? No one wanted to buy those paintings. And now these paintings are among the most highly valued of Picasso's work. So I am kind with myself these days when something captures my soul and I go back to it over and over again, mining perhaps the depths of color in my, in my quilting or the meaning in a concept or a story in scripture. All this to say I've been captured this year by this transfiguration story, especially how it's told in the Gospel of Mark. You know, most times we hear the transfiguration story right before Lent starts. <laughs> so you're thinking, why are we hearing the transfiguration story again this year, for one thing, and why in the middle of summer? It's because I just can't let go of it. For years and years, I avoided preaching on this gospel every way I could. It is such a strange, strange story. The kind of story that if any of us were to tell it today, we would be thought to be imagining or hallucinating or fabricating. Yet here it is in the gospel. Today I want to focus on three aspects of the story. The trauma and stigma, the revelation, and the threshold. I have always loved the gospel of Mark. It's the most immediate and raw of the gospels. Scholars believe it was the first gospel to be written down, and it's almost like it's the first telling of any story before it gets prettied up and made more palatable for the sake of tender ears. Jesus is the most human in Mark, and just before the transfiguration, Jesus is healing a lot of folks, and he's arguing with a lot of folks. And I know this can be tricky to say, and it might sound sacrilegious, but it seems that just before the transfiguration story, Jesus is getting pretty irritable. He seems short-tempered and stressed out. And why not? The religious leaders are getting increasingly impatient with his newfangled and thus threatening teachings. The crowds are starting to track him closely and Desperate people are constantly seeking him out, begging in the most emotional, desperate way for him to heal them or their loved ones. And I have to believe that the disciples are starting to get pretty nervous and afraid, too. This one who they decided to follow because he was going to bring them all closer to God is now hunted by those who need him and those who feel a need to destroy him. Have you ever known this feeling when you feel like something bad is brewing? That, you know, sometimes in a family gathering where everyone's so happy to see each other and then someone brings up religion or politics, and you wonder, oh, oh, where is this going to go? It can happen at home, it can happen at work, and it can even happen in churches when the everything is awesome precept begins to crack under strong emotions opinions, maybe a looming tragedy, in undeniable truths that have been denied for years or decades or even centuries. I think the disciples can feel the trauma of the passion and the crucifixion brewing, and they are thick with dread and fear. 
I think all of them, even Jesus, are very stressed out. They feel the trauma ahead. So in just this time, when things are getting pretty stressed, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, his very closest disciples, up to a high, quiet place. And then this incredibly strange thing happens. Jesus begins to glow. His clothes become dazzling white. This says whiter than anything on earth could bleach them. And then Moses and Elijah appear out of nowhere. And the disciples know it's, it's Elijah and Moses, even though there's no photography at that time. They just know that that's Elijah and Moses with him. And scriptures say they were terrified. I would be too, I'm just saying. And Peter, in his terrified state, says, Oh, quick, let's build three dwellings here, one for each of you, so that we can make this moment permanent, so that we can set it in stone. That's what Peter wanted to do when he was terrified. He wanted simple, solid, forever answers. Then the scripture says, A cloud overshadowed them. Not a cloud came over across the sky. It overshadowed them, and they heard a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Not the righteous, not the powerful, not anything else. The beloved. Listen to him. (laughs) Listen to him. And then just as suddenly the moment is over. Everything went back to normal. Moses and Elijah were gone. Jesus looked like his old, I assume, kind of drab self. He was the same Jesus. But he had been seen in a new light. And as they went back to the normal world, Jesus said, Let's just keep this to ourselves right now. You can tell folks later on, after the resurrection. That brings me to the stigma. Why? Why not tell people? Well, we know from the Me Too movement that people tend not to believe folks who tell nearly unimaginable tales. And credibility is an important commodity when you are building a movement. Credibility is elusive when you are trying to change fundamental religious and social structures. They needed their credibility, and perhaps the story was just a little too wild to share with those who had not seen it with their own eyes. Or maybe they were trying to avoid the wrong kind of attention. Or maybe Jesus was trying to say to them, just live with this for a little while before you talk about it on Facebook. Reflect on it. Try to make sense of it. Live with it. Unpack it. Was Jesus calling for a secret or just a bit of privacy and time while they tried to make meaning out of this wild experience? Whatever the reason, it's clear that the point of this story was not to tell it. Although they did, that's how we know it. There can be a very thin line sometimes between privacy and secrecy, between keeping confidentiality and holding a shameful and dangerous secret. 
In the mental health field, we hold the stories, lives, and the very psyches our clients, of our clients as a sacred trust. We understand the weighty responsibility of holding for another person in a very vulnerable time in their life the essence of their identity, their mind, and their soul, while they sort out their pain and suffering. And while I can't tell you what great pressure there is on us to share the success stories of our clients in order to raise the money we need to make it all happen, it is a difficult, if not impossible, thing to do in the context of this most sacred trust. The stories of our clients are their stories to tell, not ours. But sometimes this absolute confidentiality can get twisted to feel like secrecy and shame. Maybe Jesus and the gang were afraid of the stigma. And Lord knows there's enough stigma out there for people who have experiences we have not. The Revelation. Why is the Greek translated as transfigured here instead of transformed? It's the same Greek word that everywhere else in Scripture gets translated as transformed. But for some reason, in this story, that same Greek word is, uh, is, is used as transfigured. On that mountaintop, I think Jesus wasn't transformed from one thing to another. He was, he was transfigured into his true self. His deep purpose was revealed. That's the reason Elijah and Moses are there, to reveal that that's the league Jesus is operating in. For just the shortest amount of time, Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of just who it is they're following. I think that's what we do at Care and Counseling. We help people become who they were created to be, to live their name that they were given in love, to become the beloved that they've always been. And sometimes they are terrified when they come. And sometimes they don't want to tell anyone that they're coming. They come to us often on a threshold. A threshold, you know, not in that room, not in that room, but in between. Not who I've always been and not yet who I'm becoming, but in this liminal space, this holy, sacred, and sometimes terrifying space. It can be frightening. And too many in our culture are asked to actually live on a threshold, which is when you're not belonging anywhere. Lots of things can bring us to a threshold. Sometimes it's a natural unfolding of our natural growth or an opportunity that comes along. Sometimes we're thrust on a threshold due to a trauma that suddenly ends our old life as we knew it, and yet we cannot fathom a new life of safety, love, and freedom. I believe in the power of threshold moments, like those guys up on the mountain. Seeing something we hadn't seen before, not always being able to make sense of it, As we hear the chirping every 40 seconds, 
and as we've heard in the news the last couple of weeks, we know some people come to a threshold and they come to believe that their only option is to take their life. And maybe this has been you at some point in your life, or maybe it's been someone you love who perhaps stepped over to the room we didn't choose for them. There's lots written about suicide, and there's lots that's not really known or understood. But one of the prominent theories right now is that there are three things that have to be in place for someone to take their life. And the first one is a sense of burdensomeness to their family. Another one is a sense of, I don't belong anywhere. Then the third one, I'm making a Venn diagram in case you can't tell. Um, The third one is, I'm not afraid to the pain of dying. I'm not afraid of death. And when you have all three of those things together, it can be a lethal combination. And sometimes when people are standing on a threshold, they don't believe they belong. So I want you to know that if you ever get to that place, you have to believe it when you don't feel it. You have to believe that you belong when you don't feel it. And you also have to believe that this concern you have about being a burden to your family, that concern is best addressed by staying here with us. Because when any of us take our life, we compound the burden we think we are beyond our imagining. And I'm saying this to you today because in the old days, you know, suicide was such a horrible thing that, well, we say commit like it's a crime. Even though I try not to say that, I say someone uh, died by suicide. And in some times in the universe, uh, when someone died by suicide, all of their possessions, even if they were also their family's possessions, were confiscated as payment for the crime. So, and of course, then there's the eternal damnation because suicide is the one sin you can't ask for forgiveness for because you're dead. So, in the church and in society as a whole, we've tried to destigmatize suicide, which is not a bad inclination. And yet, we have to be careful that we don't normalize it either. We need to always say, It's not a valid option. And we need to say it to ourselves when we don't feel that way, so when we do feel that way, it's just in there. Okay, talk about preaching. Okay, I'll I'll go on to the rest of my sermon now, but I feel so strongly about this. Stay. Tell yourself now, tell those you love, tell those you know that suicide is not the right option. And we have to believe the words from Isaiah. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you, and they will not overwhelm you. We have to believe that deeply, and we have to share that belief with others all the time. 
And we have to believe that God is calling us to a new way of being while at the same time being right there with us on the threshold. I am honored beyond all imagining to be at Karen Counseling and a small part of bringing children, teens, women, men, couples, and families over a threshold from pain and confusion and suffering into hope and healing and wholeness. And I'm pretty sure that this is such a place as well. That this place, this church, you people, flawed as all of humanity is, is a place where people can be safe on a threshold and can step into that new life as Jesus' people and find meaning and their name that they too are beloved. May we all find the blessing of threshold moments as we each and all become who we were always created to be. Amen.